whether it's taking care of family. Ugh, Mikey, stop harassing your sister. Climbing the corporate ladder. Yes, yes, yes. We need to create a new spreadsheet for the project. I know, I know. Or even taking care of loved ones. I'm here for you, Mom. You have to put you first. It's the Know You First podcast with host Amanda Smith. Hey, y'all. It's your host, Amanda Smith, kicking off the third episode of the Know You First podcast. So, you know, we're still in the thick of season of love. Love is certainly still in the air, as it always and should be. Um, And a fine time to talk about the output of love and the many expressions that can be used to show love and particularly self-love. So this show is entitled Self-Love Through Poetry. And I have a wonderful guest who is a writer and a poet and will offer some insight into using poetry as your love language. I'm also spotlighting author and inspirational speaker Simon Sinek as he provides some great examples of when we should be selfish. And finally, I'm closing out with the word with a focus on revenge. Uh Uh-huh, see, you're awake now. (laughs) So let's get into it. Lots in store, and I don't want you to miss any of it. The Spotlight. I, for one, am feeling very motivated on this episode because one of my really good girlfriends, Veronica Vila, shout out to V, hey girl, hey, uh, tagged me in a post of a video reel with, Simon Sinek sharing some examples of times when we need to be selfish. Oh, right. <laughs> so needless to say, I was super excited and so glad she thought of me uh, as she knows this is exactly the type of information that I want to daily uh, present to you all. Uh, but Simon poses the question within his caption of the video reel. When do we need to be selfish? And then he starts listing out a couple of different ways that we should embrace a selfish mentality. So, yeah, Simon gets it. I've been trying to tell (laughs) y'all. But no, really, I'm glad that this is becoming a normal conversation now. Sure, there's still much work to do when it comes to self-love and self-worth. But it's refreshing to see industry leaders like Simon and others using their platform to speak about it so that it's not taboo. You know, we talk about these new normals uh, and this for sure should be the new normals of being able to talk about self-love and self-care. So here are Simon's simple tips on when we need to be selfish. Tip one, when we are doing things that hurt us. So this includes, you know, not resting, working too much, being burnt out. Uh, your body will tell you before you do if you don't get some rest. We need it in our lives uh, to keep healthy. Again, no brainer there. Uh, His tip number two, when we're saying yes too much to the point where we're becoming sick. How many of us have this issue? If you heard me on last week's episode with uh, Poet Taylor, and we talked about her selfish moment, and it ended up being her New Year's resolution for 2021, where she said she was going to say yes to herself and (laughs) no to others. Love that, right? Because that's so super hard to do, especially in her role. You know, um, she is a community liaison working uh, on radio. Uh, But you'll find that saying no is easier than the disappointment that it brings later on of not being present fully because you've overcommitted yourself. 
So I loved both of these tips. Um, they were excellent. And why Simon Sinek has made it to this spotlight segment. So thank you, sir. Exclusive guest interviews. Welcome to the exclusive guest interview segment where I have the pleasure of introducing you to a very talented woman who possesses many gifts. Her name is Carrie Addington, and some of those gifts include training and facilitation and people development coaching. She's like the Renaissance woman. She's doing it all. But Carrie is very much in tune with the change behavior process. She is someone within my talent development tribe and someone who I'm really excited to introduce you to because she is taking a different approach to self-discovery and self-love. You know, we titled today's episode Self-Love Through Poetry, and she's going to unpack some of that. Uh, She brings an interesting lens to the topic of self-love and self-worth as Carrie spent a good chunk of her career in the beauty industry, uh, an industry that can be very harsh, as we all know, in determining the way we view ourselves. Uh, To add to her awesomeness, she is also an accomplished poet, receiving several awards, including the Virginia Downs Poetry Award and American Literary Review Poetry Award, to contribute to this season of love, With Valentine's Day just being just last week, we will hear from Carrie on the self-expression of love through poetry. We will even get the opportunity to hear some of her latest work and insight on owning your craft. Hi, Amanda. I'm so glad to be here back with you in conversation. Absolutely. And, you know, when I actually reached out to you, you said a fantastic thing. You know, you said this is a reunion. Plus uh, an opportunity to talk about poetry. So this is absolutely twofold for me too. For those who don't know, I had the pleasure of working with Carrie Addington when I was at the Association for Talent Development. Um, I was on the content development side for our community of practice. I I head up the learning development community and Carrie oftentimes would come on um, the show that I had um, at HED to talk about various topics around talent development. So this is a reunion for us and she was definitely one of my faves <laughs> when I was at Aww. HED. Uh, so I'm so glad to have her. So Carrie, enough about me. This show is about you and what hmm. you do in terms of poetry and, and on the writing side and just the inspirational side. And I, I want to pick your brain about what you've been doing in that realm for what? Oh, God knows how long. So how long have you been writing poetry? Yeah, yeah. Great question. So how long have I been writing uh, for as long as I can remember. I have to say, I since I was a little child in a little farm town in Indiana, I remember our family kind of gathering at my grandparents' house, and it would just be bustling with family in the breezeway, in the kitchen, food and card games, and I would just kind of slip away, and I would head to uh, my grandfather's office where he had this fascinating roll-top banker's desk. And I would take my bag of pens and my markers and my notebooks, and I'd sit there for hours and just write, write stories, write songs, poems, uh, whatever kind of came out. And it was this physical space that I was able to carve out for myself that over time became this kind of mental space that I held for myself. And it was where I became probably most still or where I learned to become most still. And that, in my opinion, is very related to the topic in, on this podcast of self-love and how we can show up best for ourselves. And so that's probably where it started. 
so since childhood really and you know specifically writing became a way for me to pay attention to what was said and how it was said and in my case in my family what wasn't being said right it was a space for me to talk in a family that didn't do a lot of talking about the hard stuff uh, a lot of talking and a lot of love just not about the hard stuff so it was a place where i could go to kind of work all of that out on the page and poetry yeah poetry became my dominant genre i think I was fascinated from a very young age with the simultaneous brevity and expanse of poetry. So what you could do in such short space and time uh, and the mechanics of poetry, uh, thinking about the techniques that you can bring to the poem and how all the parts of the little poetry machine work together. That was really fascinating to me. That is fantastic. And it sounds like you were kind of a natural. You kind of uh, used it as your outlet and it kind of stuck with you over the years. But I absolutely have to tell you and agree with you that when I'm also lost for words or even have to get something off of my mind, I do write either short stories or poems to help get it out of my head, you know. And, and, and there is a sense of relief that you have after, after you've done that. So, well, look, now that you are a professional poet <laughs> um, and as you started out as kind of doing this as a, as a way to, to help you through, through your childhood, now there's different variations. But, you know, how do you kind of make it your own? You know, you know, mm. how do you not follow or lose yourself into all these variations of uh, writing poetry? It's such a good question. Uh, it's one I still ask myself constantly because I think that's that's the challenge, right? Is that you you start to take the craft seriously and you and you start to study and read broadly and, and start to study all the different techniques and mechanics and what's what's available in a poem. And then you start to uh, challenge your craft of it. And I think for me, this, this question you're asking about how do you find your own way uh, is something that I came to realize over the years after much study and going to conferences and workshops and being in conversation with my community of poets that I surround myself with. And what I came to realize uh, over the years is that there's there's no magic formula. There is no right way of being a poet or being a writer. What worked for Mary Oliver or what works for a Linda Gregerson or a Terrence Hayes won't work for me, but there's a fascination with each writer's individual process. It's, it's always the interview question and it's always, uh, there are books written about it to really explore what does it look like because we are so curious behind the scenes if we peel it back, what are you doing to make this this art that you're putting out there that is so beautiful. And so it's almost we're letting, letting our secrets out by pulling that, that cover back and seeing what the process looks like. For me, uh, I really had to learn all the different possibilities of the process. This is just how my mind works. I want to hear everybody's process. I want to hear best practices. And then I want to kind of push it all to the side and find what works for me. And I think that is absolutely imperative as a writer is to really identify what rules are you going to play by and play with what can bring me bring my most authentic self to the page that's really uh, the thing and you know there's there's no guarantee in the process that you choose and you know i i found over time i spent a lot of years feeling guilty about what process i didn't have so I'd hear about all this structure that was built around other writers, people that were getting up and writing for two hours every morning consistently over time. And so I'd, I'd 
do the old comparison game, which is just never a great place to live. We're all guilty. And <laughs> we're all guilty, dang it. But, but, you know, it's really what I learned from that time was I, on, I need an ebb and flow. I'm an ebb and flow type of writer. So I needed to really honor what worked for me. So I'll spend, and what I mean by that is I'll spend a few months being extremely generative, uh, reading broadly, kind of building revision curiosity, and then I might disappear and put all my energy elsewhere. And elsewhere sometimes is very productive and elsewhere sometimes is on the couch for three days watching the housewives. So Mm -hmm. true story, it's whatever I would do to kind of avoid that process. And it was almost what I needed was a little decompression time because what I've accepted over time is that even when I don't have fingers on the keyboard or pen to paper, I'm still writing, I'm observing, I'm taking information in, I'm storing, I'm cataloging, I'm analyzing, I'm doing all of that process in the background. I'm still learning to trust that I will come to the page when I'm ready to come to the page. And it doesn't necessarily have to be that structured hour a day, unless that works for you, in which case, by all means, do it. Sometimes it works for me, sometimes it doesn't. Um, And so I think that permission to find your own process is again in that realm of of kind of self-love so just being gentle with the self and saying it's okay that you didn't write for three weeks in my case it's okay that you just didn't write for eight months which felt like a pretty long dry spell and i have to tell you this is this is key i just moved to savannah this summer um, and my partner and i were walking around one of the squares downtown uh, socially distancing mind you uh, but walking around one of the squares downtown and eating ice cream. And he, he asked me, you know, he'd watched me struggle for a few months, not writing, avoiding writing, really just doing anything but writing. And he said to me, you know, do you like the thought of being a writer? Or do you like being a writer? <laughs> I, I know, I know, right? Right there is poetry. Oh, he was absolutely. coming from a really generous space of just not understanding why I would choose not to do the thing that brings me such joy yeah. and that makes me feel so complete. And it was such a great question. And it was one that I sat with for a while and really had to think through. And it, it did. It, it jump-started me because I thought, yeah, it, it's not about wanting to be a writer. It's that I am choosing to kind of step away from that thing that makes me feel complete. And so the generosity of that question got me thinking about why I wasn't writing and very quickly got me back into that process. We'll have more with our guest on the Know You First podcast with host Amanda Smith. And we're back on the Know You First podcast with host Amanda Smith. Kudos to your partner for asking right? that. I'm saying, like, and as you said, that is poetry in itself because um, it allowed you to reflect. And I love what you said about... Um, you know, we always try to put ourselves and pigeonhole ourselves into what society thinks is right. And, I, and we do that so much analyzing and overthinking with that process alone of making sure we're, we're good enough, you know, mm-hmm. um, instead of just, you know, being our authentic selves and yeah. putting that on the table and saying, this is who I am. I do not have to change a single thing. If I, like you said, take some time, yeah. eight months to a, a couple of days to figure out um, what it is I, I need to express, then that's what it's going to be. Um, but I love that question. 
Right. And and you know what's interesting about that, just to add on there, Amanda, because it's an important point, is you've you've met me in a professional setting. And so the authenticity in that setting, I have supreme confidence in. I can come in, I can perform, I can do exactly what I need to do, and I'm confident that I will meet whatever the goal is. Uh, in poetry, it's such a vulnerable space mm. oh, to yeah. take up that 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 confidence kind of falls away. So what I started to see was that what I was doing from a writing practice standpoint was not uh, correlating to what I did in every aspect, other aspect of my life. So it was almost like I was showing up to the art a little bit different. Um, and so even just having that awareness was a way to approach the work a little bit differently, show up I, more authentically. I love what you say about being vulnerable. I think poetry makes you vulnerable in a way that a lot of other art forms may not. But I love the fact that talk about the vulnerability because when we are trying to search for this journey of self-love, yeah, one of the things that requires you to do is be vulnerable. We can be taught yeah. new things. We can be taught new way of thinking. But it's that vulnerability, um, that exposure of ourselves, I think that yeah. really is that turning point. Well, and, and you know, we talk about self-love. Healing is very... Oh connected there, right? And when we think yes. about poems, they're, they're where we come in our most difficult moments as a collective, as an individual. You know, when I think of when mass shootings were rocking the country, poems went viral. When mm -hmm. social and racial unrest of the previous year came to the forefront, poems were circulating. When lives are kind of categorized, questioned, challenged, poetry really finds that uh, universal, emotive capacity that I think we all need it. Just it boils everything down to our core of being a human and just feeling and feeling for one another. And that is also a very rich act of self-love. So Carrie, with that said, do you have any pieces that you'd like to share with us that's related to this topic? You know, again, talking yes. about self-love. You are. know, yeah. And I would love to be able to share some. Some yeah. works of, of yours or others that, you know, we can be inspired from. Yeah, you know, it's so funny when you pose that to me, I, I kind of chuckled to myself because uh, <laughs> I assure you that anyone who knows my work would not classify it as uh, a love poem in the traditional sense uh, yes. in any way. So I do have one that um, I'll share. This is actually a piece that was originally published in Waxwing Literary Journal. And I, I don't know that... Um, anything I've encountered has made me feel the way this experience did. I was actually studying in Northern Italy at Ezra Pound's castle um, one mm -hmm. summer and doing, you know, a poetry intensive. And I was captivated by this damn rooster that kept like infiltrating the grounds. Right. And I was just very obsessed. And I found that it was like, I thought of this rooster when you said self-love. So I'm going to share with you this this poem. I think that might um, illuminate a little bit of my, my perspective on, on love. Rooster, after Ellen Bryant Voigt. 
In the Alps of Dorf Tyrol, I lived with the squawk of a rooster, crowing beyond sunrise, wobbling, bobbing his neck, his vibrant comb, rubber-like, waved as he chased things, things that were not his, and he spent most days chewing the bumpers off cars, nipping and tugging, seduced by rubber. The taste of excess had claimed him in the way it claimed me and catapulted my tattered bags into the mountain's air, where fluctuations in pressure turned porch steps into rapid ascents and hallways into small invisible vacuums, vacuuming out all the density of parting. And I'm not fond of too much, too fast. The swing set, the subway, carnival rides, anything that recoils, pulls back, swings and swoons. So I'd wander off while others talked of whatever people talk about. It sounded happy. And I'd wonder about the wandering and where it'd take me and why it took me into a renovated barn enamored with Italian and German farming equipment. I thought of my parents' house, the back room embellished with my grandfather's farming tools, butter churns, horse bridles, a weaning mask, and no one asks why those things are suddenly no longer lining the walls. And no one asks why there are pictures of San Francisco. We've never been to San Francisco. And no one seems to notice how where we came from so easily slips away into some new kind of obsession, like the obsession that rooster had with all the things that were not his, abandoned wine corks, leaf scramble, the fine, fine taste of rubber. Oh, my, my. How many of us have been a rooster? <laughs> How many of us are roosters now? Yeah. Chasing, chasing that, that empty dream, staying yeah. in that empty relationship, doing things yeah. in excess. Carrie, that was beautiful. Thank oh, you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that's, that is my warped perspective on love. <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> that was brilliant. No, I, I love that. And um, would love to be able to um, have you share that. I was, that's something I can absolutely see myself reflecting on. Yeah, time to time. I'll send it right along. Awesome. That is in a wonderful way to, I say, in this. And um, I want to, again, thank you for your time, Carrie. Um, as yeah. you shared already, most of our relationship has been on the professional front, but I have been a little bit of a stalker of you. <laughs> And your poems and I'm what so you, flattered. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and you certainly have been an inspiration for me and um, your spirit is, mm. is, is undying. And, and I thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Absolutely. The word. The word. I want to share a random quote that I just happened to run across while I was doing my normal perusing on the Internet. Um, the owner of this quote, though, uh, was not mentioned, um, but I still had to share it because I know we all can relate. And it is as follows. The best revenge is no revenge. Prioritize your peace. I like this quote because I'm reminded of occasions where we get pissed off. I mean, shoot, let's just, you know, sometimes life isn't freaking fair and we get upset um, with certain situations or people uh, who we felt have wronged us in some way. And we end up giving those same people and things way too much of our energy. You know, think about it. You are investing your precious time and energy into something or someone that it's not reciprocated. Now, this was something I personally had to learn over time. Thank goodness for growth. Because I was letting myself get caught up in this notion of 
I want them to feel what I'm feeling, you know? Um, how dare they get to walk around enjoying their life while I'm over here suffering? Um, but then I thought, are those same people really enjoying their lives, though? I mean, are they really? In many cases, you might have been an easy target for them to hurt you. You might have just gotten caught up in the crossfire, or perhaps they didn't even know they were affecting you at all. Now, I will admit, <laughs> before I came to this realization, I could have easily gotten the Petty of the Year Award. Easily. But what it did in the end was bring on more stress, more confusion. I was getting even more pissed off um, and I was not able to grow. Finding your peace will be the ultimate revenge because when you are at peace, you open yourself up to more positivity and opportunity. You can now see clear. Can't put a price on clarity. I say that all the time. And to be quite honest, karma is a you-know-what, so they're going to get theirs anyway <laughs> without you even lifting a finger. It's going to be taken care of. Um, and on that note, I'm out. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Until next week, it's Amanda Smith, y'all, on the Know You First podcast. Executive producer and host, Amanda Smith. Sound engineer is Rashad Smith. Music by Motion Array. Know You First podcast is published by Wave Sync Media.